Good morning. We are in the book of James. It is our text. Today, James chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 13 to the end of the chapter, verse 18. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. So we continue today in James chapter 3. Last week we saw how the use of our tongue gives evidence or not to spiritual maturity. James continues this theme in our text today, but he transitions from the witness of our tongue to the witness of our whole life. Remember, James teaches us that he who is able to bridle his tongue is able to bridle his whole body. James is writing to teach us not only what a bridled tongue sounds like, but what a bridled life looks like, and how a bridled life will be made known to others. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, in your grace and in your mercy today, and by your Holy Spirit that dwells in your people, illuminate your word. Father, shine a light in our heart and give us eyes to see your glory as we behold in this mirror, which is your word. And help us to see, Father, our shortcomings, that we would be a people that would be being conformed continuously to the very image of the Son of Glory. Father, help us to be a people that shows forth your wisdom that sows your wisdom, that makes known your wisdom for your glory. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this text, James informs us that wisdom is shown and that wisdom is sown. Like a farmer sows, wisdom is to be sown. He also describes two categories of wisdom, wisdom from beneath and wisdom from above. In verse 13, James instructs us that wisdom is shown. In verses 14, 15, and 16, James describes the wisdom from beneath that he describes as earthly, sensual, and demonic. In verse 17, James describes the wisdom from above that is from God. 
Then in verse 18, James instructs us that wisdom is sown. It is sown in peace by those who make peace, James writes. So first, let's talk about how wisdom is shown. James asked this question, who is wise and understanding among you? He asked the question and then he gives us the answer. The wise and understanding among you is the one who shows by his good conduct. The one who is wise and understanding among you is the one who shows it by his good conduct. Therefore, we see that wisdom is shown. To show something is to make known something. That's what this word means, to show, it's to make it known. So wisdom is to be made known. We're to show it. We make known wisdom and understanding by a praiseworthy life. So when he says, by your good conduct, that's what that means. Your good conduct is not just your random acts of kindness that you might do or might not do. Your good conduct speaks of your life, your whole life and your lifestyle, how you walk out your faith every day. When you're seen and when you're not seen by others. The conduct, the good conduct of your life is your lifestyle. And God sees your life and God sees your lifestyle always. So when James refers to our good conduct, he's actually referring to our way of life. Our good conduct is our praiseworthy life and lifestyle before God and before others. By a lifestyle that honors and glorifies God, it will be known that our works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom and understanding is not something that is to be only talked about. It must be shown. Thus, James informs us that the truly wise and the truly understanding person shows it in their manner of life and conduct. And in the context of a praiseworthy manner of living, a man's good conduct will show that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Works done in the meekness of wisdom are works that are done in willing and wise, unconditional surrender and submission to God. That's what it means to be meek. And so it's interesting here, he says, by a man's good conduct, he will show that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So, in other words, James is not just looking at specific works that you do, because anybody can do nice things, right? Anyone can do good things, right? James says it's not those nice things or those good things that people see you do because very often people do things because they want people to see them doing those nice and good things. James is saying that's, that's not what determines whether your works are done in the meekness of wisdom. What determines that is the good conduct of your life. In other words, what determines that is the whole of your life. It's what you do in public. It's what you do in private. It's who you are when people are watching. It's who you are when no one is watching, except that God is always watching, right? And so God knows 
whether our conduct is good or not. And it's the totality of our life that will determine whether our works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Because who we truly are in total is going to come out some way or some, some fashion. You can't hold that in. You can't just live in pretense and pretending that you are someone that you're not. That's why the Bible says your sins will find you out. And that's a good thing. That's the grace of God because when that happens, God is able to bring the correction needed to his children. Just like you parents. You always find out, right, sooner or later when your kids are doing what they're not supposed to be doing. And when you find that out, you bring correction, not because you don't love them, but because you do love them. Well, that's what God does with us. So let him show by good conduct, James writes. This is James emphasizing again that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. That also means that we're not to be just talkers about the word. You say you have faith, James says, I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you my faith by my good conduct and works done in the meekness of wisdom. I'm not just going to talk about those things. I'm actually going to show you. I'm actually going to make it known through the whole course of my life. Wisdom is not just talked about. Wisdom must be shown. That his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. James has already mentioned meekness. So in chapter 1, verse 21, we are instructed to receive with meekness the implanted word. And when we went through that first chapter, we talked about what this word meekness actually means. The meek are those who submit to the will of God as revealed in the word of God. To receive with meekness the implanted word is to receive the word even as we are in submission to it. If you're not in submission to it, you're not going to receive it. The meek accept God's word and God's will as he directs all things. Thus, the meek are not weak, as some might think they are, but they have a strength by the grace of God that shows their works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength in the face of weakness. Meekness is an inner fortitude or perseverance in the face of situations and circumstances that are outside our realm of control. That happens more than we like to admit. The meek trust God's plan and purpose, even in the face of God's unknown ways. Quoting Bonhoeffer's prayer, Bonhoeffer prayed this, Lord, I do not understand your ways, but you Know the way for me. In this little prayer, we see a great picture of meekness. We may find ourselves in a position of weakness because we have no control over our circumstances. And in that position of outward weakness, we endure with an inner strength, an inner fortitude that the scripture calls meekness. The meek are those who, by God's grace, accept God's ability to direct all the events of our life. Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. 
That is an eternal promise to remember when we find ourselves not understanding the ways of God in our temporal life here and now. Meekness is marked by our submitted obedience to God, even in the face of great uncertainty. James links meekness with being doers of the word and not hearers only. That means the meek are those who submit in obedience to God's word, becoming doers and not hearers and not talkers only. By God's grace, the meek persevere without giving up. When the scripture identifies Moses as the meekest man on earth, we can understand that as describing his humble submission to God, but also his inner strength and fortitude in the face of all that he endured. In Moses, we see a foreshadowing of Christ. So like Moses and like Christ, we too are called to show by a praiseworthy life that our works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So wisdom must be shown. And remember, James in these verses describes for us two types of wisdom. Wisdom from beneath and wisdom from above. He talks about in verses 14, 15, and 16 what I call this wisdom from beneath. In these verses, we see James drawing a contrast with meekness and sinful self-seeking. James specifically calls out bitter envy and self-seeking, both of which are sins that are completely self-centered and self-serving. Both are in direct contradiction with meekness, because meekness, remember, describes our submission to God in self-sacrifice. Bitter envy and self-seeking are in complete contradiction to our willful submission to God from a heart of love. It's all about me. That's what bitter envy and self-seeking are. And if we have bitter envy and self-seeking in our hearts, and we in false pretension profess to be one whose works are done in the meekness of wisdom, James says we boast and lie against the truth. When this is the conduct of your life, the wisdom being shown that is from beneath instead of from above, when this is the conduct of your life, this earthly, this sensual and demonic wisdom from the realm of this world beneath, this conduct shows that your works are done with bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, not in the meekness of wisdom. This is not the wisdom that we are to seek. This conduct is sinful and we are to repent of it. And we are all capable, if not prone, to move in that direction as we give place to our flesh instead of walking by the Spirit, therefore not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. James warns us this type of wisdom is false and does not descend from above, but is demonic. For wherever envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. In other words, this is a breeding ground of destruction 
that is completely contrary to the meekness of wisdom from above. Then in verse 17, James talks about the wisdom that is from above or the wisdom that is from God. Let me read this to you, James 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You see, James is referring to the things that he's already written about in his letter. And he's saying, this is what our life is to show forth. This should be the conduct of our life. And here James describes the wisdom from above that is from God. This is the wisdom we are told to ask of God, that he promises to give liberally and without reproach. James is contrasting the wisdom from above with the wisdom he just described as being earthly, sensual, and demonic. The wisdom that is from above, the wisdom from God, is first pure, James says. Meaning it is unlike the corrupt wisdom he just described. It is first pure. It is uncorrupted. It's pure. It's been tried. It's been tested. That is the wisdom that God wants us to show. That is the wisdom that God wants us to seek from him. James goes on to describe this wisdom from above as then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. That's meekness. Being meek is being willing to yield to God's will, to God's word, to God's ways when even we do not understand them. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This wisdom gives us the epitome of meekness shown in these attributes that are complementary and consistent with the fruit of the Spirit, or as James calls it, the fruit of righteousness. These attributes described here by James in verse 17 are completely contrary to the bitter envy and self-seeking that is consistent with the wisdom from beneath, described as earthly, sensual, demonic. James could not draw a more clear contrast between the wisdom from above and the wisdom from beneath. It is clear which one the believer is to seek and then conduct himself in to show that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. The wisdom from above is the wisdom that is to be shown through our life. This is the wisdom we are to sow in order to see a harvest of righteous fruit that glorifies our Father. Remember in John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and you are the branches. And then he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. This is the fruit that James speaks of here. This is the fruit that glorifies our Father. It is the fruit of righteousness made known, shown through our life. So wisdom is shown. It must be. And there is a wisdom from above and there is a wisdom from beneath. And it is the wisdom from above that we are to seek from God. 
It is the, that wisdom from, from above that we are to show and make known in our life. But James goes on in verse 18, and he says, wisdom is shown. Now, he doesn't use those exact words. Here's what he says in verse 18. Now, the fruit of righteousness is shown, I'm sorry, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I hope you realize that we are all sowing And we are all reaping. So it's never a question of whether we are sowing. The question is always, what are we sowing? What are you sowing? Are we sowing to the flesh and of the flesh reaping corruption? Or are we sowing to the spirit and of the spirit reaping everlasting life? When we are sowing in peace the fruits of righteousness, we are sowing to the spirit and we will reap accordingly when we are sowing according to that earthly sensual and demonic wisdom we are sowing to the flesh and we will of the flesh reap corruption we sow the fruit of righteousness by sowing the good seed of God's word into our own hearts while living it out and making it known through the whole of our life. The motto we embrace at Christ Fellowship is Christ in all of life for all the world. Christ in all of life for all the world. This expresses how and to what extent the fruit of righteousness is to be sown. As we sow in peace the fruit of righteousness, we are engaged in sowing wisdom from above, and it is to be sown in all of life, and it is to be sown in all the world. Or as James would say, without partiality and hypocrisy. What James calls the fruit of righteousness, Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. They are one and the same. The one who sows this fruit is wise. The fruit is described by the righteous characteristics that are to define the life and conduct of the believer. Those characteristics were described by James in verse 17, and they are described by Paul in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We read James 7, uh, 3, 17. Let me read to you Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience. I like long-suffering because I think it better describes what we often find ourselves enduring in life. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Our good conduct made known shows that our works are done in the meekness of wisdom. We are to be sowing the fruit of righteousness in peace, for we are those who make peace. That's who sows the fruit of righteousness, those who make peace. That's what James writes in verse 18. And so as we sow the fruit of righteousness, we sow it in peace as those who make peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers For they shall be called 
sons of God. I want you to hear me closely. That means, O man, O woman, if you are a son of God, Jesus has called you a peacemaker. Peacemakers serve the Prince of Peace, who is the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we need to understand what it means to be called one who makes peace. Wisdom is sown in peace by peacemakers. We're going to take a little bit of time to talk about what it means to be a peacemaker because I think it's very important in the context of the world we live in and the culture we live in today. To understand what it means to be called a peacemaker, we must understand what it does not mean. While we are talking about sowing, think about the farmer. To say as peacemakers we should never have conflict is like saying to the farmer, you should never have weeds. Or to the peace officer, you should never have conflict keeping the peace. What we realize is that conflict is inevitable. Whether you're a farmer or a peacemaker or a peace officer, conflict is inevitable. By the nature of what each is called to do. Why do we need peacemakers if there is no conflict? Why do we need peace officers if there is never a threat to keeping the peace they're charged to keep? Why do we need farmers if we can just all eat weeds? Every peacemaker will have conflict. They will need to overcome in order to sow in peace the fruits of righteousness. People in the world today don't, don't like this truth. They want to believe, they want to live in this illusion that we can create some world that, where there will never be conflict, where there will never be disagreement, where we can all just get along and do each what we think is right in our own heart. That is impossible. Until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes back and does away with sin and death, that, that day will not be here. Until then, we're living in a world filled with conflict. And as peacemakers, we, be, we better be ready and willing to deal with it. Being a peacemaker, therefore, does not mean we never enter into conflict. It does not mean peace at all cost as the world defines it. It does not mean a life void of conflict or free of those things that would, in fact, disrupt our peace. Peacemakers are those who make peace as the scripture defines it and as Jesus modeled it for us and as Jesus gives to us, not the peace the world gives to us, but the peace that the Prince of Peace gives to us. For the peace that the world wants us to embrace is no peace at all. As peacemakers, we must know that Christ himself is our peace. 
And if we are not giving the world Christ, if we are not giving to others Christ, then we are not giving them true peace. For there is no peace apart from Christ. In Christ, the life of a peacemaker is a life that will require you to know conflict. For peacemakers who are sons of God, conflict is part and parcel of our privilege of knowing the fellowship of his sufferings. Conflict is not something we seek. Conflict is what will find us as we are faithfully sowing in peace the fruits of righteousness. Our conflict and suffering can assume many forms, both external and internal, natural and spiritual, touching the very depths of our body, our soul, and our spirit. Whatever form of conflict we encounter, we endure and we overcome in the meekness of wisdom because we are submitted to our God. We live in the midst of conflict. We are living in a raging spiritual warfare That is true whether you believe that, whether you discern that reality or not. And there are many people, not just outside, that's a given. Those outside of Christ, that's a given. They're blind, they're in darkness. What concerns me are the number of people who profess to be Christians who seem to be oblivious to this reality. And as our nation continues down the path to hell, we want to believe that somehow... We're not engaged in some raging conflict and spiritual war when, in fact, we are. When you do, when you do encounter righteous conflict or controversy, your enemy wants you to steer clear of it. I mean, he would love for you just to believe there is no such thing as spiritual warfare and, and conflict like that, that we just live in a material world. And that's where a lot of people live. We come up with all kinds of material reasons why this happens and that happens, but we never think that it is the spiritual, the demonic, or even the judgment of God. Gosh, the world's burning up. Yeah, go back and read your Bible. God says, one of your judgments will be, I'll let your land burn up because you have forsaken me. But somehow, even Christians today don't want to believe that's true. We would rather believe in the climate change fairy than in the God who is in control of the climate he created. Get delivered of that. Go back to the word of God and trust God. And we need to pray that God would grant repentance to his church so our world will stop burning up and our land will stop burning up and destruction will not be on every hand as some people think that it is. It's not. God is in control. He is in absolute control of all things and he is trying to help his church find her legs so that she will, in fact, humble herself and pray and seek his face so that he will hear from heaven and bring healing to our land. The enemy has convinced many that avoiding controversies and conflicts is the nice or the Christian thing to do. Jesus never avoided controversy or conflict for fear of offending someone. 
Jesus knew that offending people was not only nice, but the most loving thing he could do very often. And if you read closely, you don't even have to read closely, just read the New Testament, you'll see how often Jesus on purpose offended people. That's how he got people's attention very often. And I'm saying we should go out and purposefully offend people. If you're just sowing the fruits of righteousness, you won't have to try to do that. Remember, conflict's going to find you because those fruits of righteousness are contrary to the ways of the world. Unfortunately, too many Christians believe the lie that being a peacemaker means never engaging in conflict. Being a peacemaker means we are to actually care about peace, which means there are times we must be willing to not only engage in conflict, but perhaps offend people by speaking the truth in love. Think of this. Jesus was a peacemaker when he drove the money changers out of the temple, overturned all their tables and made a supreme mess and created much chaos in the temple during a great feast. I mean, talk about the most inopportune time to go in and, and, and make a scene. Surely he would have waited until after the great feast when every Jew from all over the world was gathered there. Jesus, wasn't there a more opportune time you could have done it when there were less people that you might have offended? No, Jesus said, no, actually, I did it exactly at that time because I wanted everyone to understand their sin. Paul was a peacemaker when he so effectively preached the gospel that he incited violent riots because of the level of transformation the good news brought to those in bondage to sin. Both of them, Jesus and Paul, were canceled in the common method of their day. Yet they could not be silenced and they could not be stopped. Thanks to the meek peacemakers that followed them. I'm hoping that you are one of those meek peacemakers. When the Nazis tried to take over the world and exterminate all the people they believed did not deserve to live, how did the peacemakers make peace? Well, if you know your, you know your history, Neville Chamberlain of Great Britain thought that he could be nice to Hitler and Hitler would come around. That was his way of making peace. Let's avoid conflict at all costs. Guess what Neville Chamberlain was not? He was not only not a good diplomat, he was not a peacemaker. How did the peacemakers make peace? They waged a world war. And through the waging of that war, they brought about peace. There can be no peace if those called to make peace are not willing to stand in the face of conflict and wage the spiritual warfare necessary for peace to reign. This is true at the most personal and intimate levels of our lives, beginning in our own families and working out from there. And this is true in the midst of the culture wars we find ourselves in right now. It is especially true in the church as we are called to be peacemakers personally and corporately as a witness to the world, sowing the fruits of righteousness in peace. 
Peacemakers are those who seek to bring peace. And peacemakers wage the good fight of faith to see the peace of Christ reign supreme. His peace comes as his kingdom comes, as his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And his will will not be done on earth as it is in heaven until it is done in your heart and my heart and in the heart of all believers. As the church, we are the ones called peacemakers by Jesus himself. As children of God, we do not have some who are peacemakers and others who are not. Well, I'm a peacemaker. What are you? No. If you're a son of God, you're a child of God, Jesus calls you a peacemaker. That means we are to be fighting for peace. Pun intended. At every level, personally, corporately, and kingdom-wide, we have been issued armor by God to wage this spiritual warfare. And in our warfare, we go forth sowing the fruit of righteousness as we can be certain we will face conflict if our works are done in the meekness of wisdom. If you're out sowing the fruits of righteousness... In peace, you can be certain you will face conflict. That means, in our meekness, that means that we are submitted to God, to His Word, and to His will. And the defining characteristic of that fruit we sow is love. The first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5.22 is love. There's not nine fruits. It's the fruit, plural, of the, I mean, singular of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Not, there's not nine. There's, there's one fruit with nine characteristics, with the chief characteristic being love. So the defining characteristic of the fruit we sow is love. And God has assured us that love never fails. That's the word of God. Love did not fail when the Son of God was unjustly murdered by the mob. Love did not fail when Stephen became the first martyr of the New Testament church. Love did not fail when Paul was stoned and left for dead because the people didn't like his message. Love does not fail when we speak the truth in love like our Lord did and the world rages against us as it did him. Paul writes in his letter to the church at Ephesus, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We better believe that's real, because it is, whether you believe it or not. That does not mean we do not battle here on the ground. We do. Or as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, or they're not of the flesh, but they are mighty through God. As the body of Christ, we are not to be each other's enemies. 
When that happens, it's not a failure of love, it's an abandonment of love. When we as members of the body of Christ choose to become our brother's or sister's enemy, we are no longer sowing the fruit of righteousness and peace, for we are no longer those who make peace. As peacemakers, we're called to sow the fruit of righteousness in peace, for we are those who make peace. We are to be those who are wise and understanding who show by our good conduct that our works are done in the meekness of wisdom and who show His wisdom as our faith is working through love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. This is a table of thanksgiving. And it is also a table of peace, adorned and filled with the fruits of of righteousness, the fruit of God's wisdom from above that He has graciously given to us in Jesus Christ. We have been called as the church to make known the manifold wisdom of God. That manifold wisdom is seen here in this table And it is seen here as Christ is present at this table, as you are present at this table. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let this table renew you and refresh you to go out from this place today to continue showing His wisdom from above and to continue sowing in wisdom the fruit of righteousness as those who make peace. Christian. Welcome to his table. Welcome to Jesus. Come and we will all be served and then we will all eat and drink together. Please stand for your charge. Wisdom must be shown. The wisdom we are to show is the wisdom from God above. There is also the wisdom from beneath that is earthly, sensual, demonic. We must shun this wisdom that constantly seeks to infiltrate our life and capture our thoughts. This is the worldly, demonic wisdom we must shun and not show in our life. Wisdom must be sown. We are to sow the wisdom from God above. We are never to sow the worldly, demonic wisdom from beneath. We sow the wisdom of God as we sow in peace the fruit of righteousness, Because we are peacemakers. That is what peacemakers do. They sow in peace the fruit of righteousness that is cultivated and nurtured in the wisdom from above. Go forth and show and sow the wisdom of God by your good conduct that makes known that your works are done in the meekness of wisdom. This is who we are as sons of God. Go forth, show His wisdom, and show His glory to a world desperately in need of hearing and seeing and knowing. Amen? Amen.